We're in the second session of this month's teaching series on questions of canon, where we are looking at how we got our Bible, how it came together, uh, how we know that the books that are in the Bible are from God, why some books were left out, why some were put in. Some people say, oh, you, the church just made it up as it went along, and some church council decided what was the word of God. Well, it wasn't, and it, nothing could be further than the truth. So we're just looking at some of these issues. Now, uh, if you missed last week's, don't worry, because you can go up on the internet, and welcome to all those who are on the internet right now, and also people I know that watch these series later on during the week. You can go up onto our media page and uh, look for the series, and you'll see the new series, uh, Questions of Canon, you'll be able to see last week's. Last week was a general introduction to the Bible. And uh, we looked at some of the questions that people have, like people say, oh, the Bible, isn't it just full of myths? And we saw a number of scriptures we were focusing in the New Testament where the people that wrote the Bible certainly did not think that it was myths. In fact, it was written by eyewitnesses. We looked at the Gospel of Luke, didn't we? And his second volume on Acts and saw that according to Luke, he was writing to Theophilus a, a reasoned account of what happened so that Theophilus, the person he was writing it for, could be sure of the things that he'd heard of. We looked at Peter, who, who also testified to the things that he saw in his letters and spoke about the, tran- the amount of transfiguration uh, that he was there. We, we also saw um, um, people like John in his letters saying, that which we have seen, that which we have handled concerning the Word of God. We looked at the Acts of the Apostles and how in the Acts of the Apostles we see t- testimonies and eyewitnesses and Paul himself talking about him meeting with the resurrected Christ and Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about not just the Apostles seeing Jesus raised from the dead but 500 even at one time. We touched on the fact that when people say, oh, the Jesus of history is unknowable, not, nothing could be further from the truth. There is more witness, eyewitness evidence and evidence of Jesus of Nazareth than many of the, or any of the other ancient people that we hear, the Caesars and the thing, that there's not that much written evidence about such people. So we looked a little bit about the history that, the, that these people that wrote and spoke, uh, it wasn't that history was invented in the time of the Enlightenment a few hundred years ago and they suddenly woke up to history and, and the idea that people in the Old Testament and New Testament weren't really bothered about truth or history or eyewitnesses, not the case at all. We spent some time on the uniqueness of the Bible, written over 1,500 years with more than 40 authors from every walk of life in different places, different times, different moods, different languages, Hebrews, a little bit in Aramaic in the Old Testament and New Testament Greek. We looked at um, uh, such things as, as the genres of the Bible. There's history, there's autobiography, there's biography, there's poetry, there's philosophy like Ecclesiastes. There, there is uh, music and psalms and all manner that make up the word of God and its richness. We also spoke a little bit about how the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, how it was preserved and passed on. And I will come on to this 
um, in the next few weeks a little bit deeper about the manuscripts and especially about how in the Old Testament, the way that the books of the law, Moses wrote the law, the first five books, the Pentateuch, how they were written and passed on by a special class of people that especially grew after the return from exile in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, where a special group called the scribes, you hear about them in the New Testament, you hear about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but you also hear about a group called the scribes, whose job was to copy and to preserve the manuscripts of the words of God that were passed down. We looked at some of the techniques that they had to make sure that they didn't make any mistakes at all in handing it down. These were the things that we looked at. We said that the word canon, when we talk about questions of canon, we're we're using the word canon, and, and that word canon comes from the Greek kanon, And this is talking about a measuring rod. It was, in the early days, a reed. A little bit like a ruler that we might have today. And you say, how many centimetres is is this book? And you might say, well, it looks about 20 centimetres. Well, let's get a ruler. And that ruler, we know the ruler is measured properly. And so we take the book, we put it up against the ruler, and we say, well, actually, it's 23 centimetres. We have a ruler that sets the standard of what a centimetre is and what it isn't, and we take things up to the ruler to measure it. And so this word measurant or standard is speaking about the scriptures and is the accepted list of books that that is inspired by God and and accepted as scripture. Now, today what, what I want to do is spend a little bit of time on the Old Testament canon. In other words the books that we find in our Bibles that are in the Old Testament. There's a few ways I could approach this, but I think what the way that I want to approach it today is by looking at how that when you go through the Old Testament, you can see in the Old Testament itself how it speaks about the books that were inspired and accepted as God's word. As you trace through the Old Testament, you see how they preserved the books of Moses and how they then preserved the prophets. And so just by looking at the Old Testament, it's amazing to see the idea that someone just woke up one day around the time of Jesus or afterward and said, oh, I wonder what's in the Old Testament. And then they made it up is a fallacy. Now, I spoke a couple about a book last week that was helpful because I can only touch on things in these sessions. And if you want to go a little bit more in depth and look at some of the more historical aspects that would be maybe a little bit boring in a session like this, um, we have, for example, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. A great book for all of these questions about how we got the Old Testament, the New Testament, why the books that are in those are the authoritative word of God, the evidence for Jesus being raised from the dead, and dealing with many of the questions that people might have about our Bible. But today the book I recommend on on looking at what we're looking at today and some of next week is called From God to Us. From God to Us, How We Got Our Bible by Norman L. Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. From God to Us, How We Got Our Bible, by Norman L. Geisler. Well, the Bible was written, collected over almost 2,000 years. 
And each prophetic contribution offered to the people of God was offered simply on the basis that God had spoken to them through a prophet. When we're talking about the Word of God, when we're talking about Scripture and those books that have the authority of God Almighty in every single word, how did they begin to recognize that something was from God? Well, it was very simply, God has spoken to us through this body of literature. How does the canon work? A quote from Norman L. Geisler's book, God to Us. He says, God inspired the books... The original people of God recognized and collected them, and later believers categorized the canonical books. So there's three steps here. The inspiration of God. The first step in finding the books or letters or whatever they are of the Bible is that they literally were inspired by God. We know that 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says... All scripture is literally God-breathed and useful for correction and teaching, etc., etc. Timothy understood that scripture was not just some body of religious literature that somebody might have written with a religious theme, but scripture, and he was referring at that point to the Old Testament canon, the books we have in our Old Testament today, he says it's God-breathed. Peter, in his epistles, speaks about prophets being carried along by the Spirit with their words, uttering the very words of God. He, too, was speaking about the Old Testament Scripture. It is true that the Bible was written by human beings. The Bible is 100% the work of human beings, but it is also the 100% inspiration of God. So, when these, uh, the first thing is that God inspires. The second thing is recognition that these were inspired by the spokesman of God at that time, immediately recognizing that what had been given to the community of God was from God, inspired from God. We can take an example, for example, here with um, the writings of Moses. I'm just going to show you a, a, a few scriptures. Um, that, the, that the inspiration and the authority of that which was given to Moses. So let's have a look first at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3. Moses, Exodus chapter 24 verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And so there's a picture of of Moses being inspired. He was inspired and they recognized that this inspiration was directly from God. And what did Moses do? He wrote it down. We have a picture here, way back. They didn't wait hundreds of years and think, do you remember what your grandfather told me about something his grandfather told him? Some bloke called Moses said some interesting things. Uh, Can you remember? I remember a bit of it. Well, write what you remember and I'll make up the rest. 
as some modern scholars would almost tell us happened. No, immediately it was recognized and immediately it was put down into written form. Let's have a look at Joshua um, chapter 24, verse 26. Joshua 24 and 26. Verse 25 will start. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there in the terebinth by the sanctuary of the Lord. What we will see is that after Moses had finished the five books of what we call the law or the Torah or the Pentateuch, Pentateuch being the Greek word for five, the first five books were authored by, by Moses, what we find here is that Joshua had a copy and that what Joshua was doing was continued, scripture was being um, continued and so we see that um, in this passage that we've just read, it said the next stage, what did Joshua do? He took it and he wrote it in the book of the law. So can you see how straight away, again, it wasn't like, what did Joshua do? Oh, I don't know. It was hundreds of years ago. Nobody bothered to make notes on the sermon that he gave. On the contrary, uh, when it was seen as inspired by God, immediately it was written down. Let's have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 25. 1 Samuel verse 10 and 25. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Here we have a picture of Samuel and the fact that he is recording in this instance what had been said and what is taking place. Samuel wasn't just a prophet, he was also a scribe. You see again that the people of God, when they heard inspiration, when they heard what God said, about king, they didn't just say, oh, that's nice, a prophecy from God. They recognized immediately the man of God and the prophecy that came from God. And they said, this is God. It is scripture. Let us write it down. Uh, let's have a look at, uh, go a bit further. Let's go to Daniel. I want, I want to give you quite a few scriptures today because my, my heart is that you go and you say, wow, you just have to go to the Old Testament itself to see how the scripture was valued and how the Old Testament came to pass without even going to other sources. So we're looking at Daniel and we're looking at Daniel chapter 9 and let me read um, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Notice immediately, uh, he is speaking about the books. Now when he's speaking about the books, that was a word, the book or the books, he's speaking about scripture. Daniel is in exile, but they have their scriptures with them. And not only that, they have the very recent scriptures. Daniel's got the writings of Jeremiah that said in 70 years, God will deliver the people from Babylonian captivity. And Daniel has the books, he has the Old Testament as it was so far, and within it and recognized in it is Jeremiah. 
if we, in the same chapter, move to verse 13. Verse 13 of Daniel 9. Here's here's, um, Daniel again. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our inequities and gaining insight into your truth. So there you can see he's been referring to a prophet in the book of the prophets, but here he also is well known and he expects his readers to also know well the law of Moses. Daniel had the law of Moses. It had been passed down. He had access to it. This wasn't something that was written and rewritten and made up. It it was something that was sure and that had been copied and recopied and handed down. And then finally in the same chapter... um, Oh no, I've done that, 9.13. Let's, let's move on throughout the Bible. We're sort of like jumping through, but we'll come back. Let's go to Nehemiah. The shortest man in the... Did you know that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible? How many didn't know that? It was, it's, it, they, that's because they called him Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Mark told me that one. Okay, well, sorry, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, where has he gone? Zechariah. Getting used to, fi- I thought it was quicker to find it on my iPad, and it has been. But... Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Looking for it in the prophets, that's why. Okay, Nehemiah, verse 9, chapter 9, sorry, verse 14. And he's saying, verse 13, speaking to the people, you came down on a Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them from the commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You see, he knew. He knew the whole story of the scriptures because they had it. And he's referring to the law of the Moses. In fact, Nehemiah and Ezra, they are going back to the word of God. They're going back to the law of Moses. Now, when we speak about the law of Moses, don't just think about the Ten Commandments. The the word law, when we speak about the, the law, the word is Torah, okay? And the word Torah simply means teaching. This is why when you're reading in the Psalms, sometimes it speaks about, I love your law, O Lord. And you think, oh, does that mean the Ten Commandments? Well, I suppose so. But it simply means, I love your teaching. And so the Torah is not just the Ten Commandments. It's the first five books of the Bible. And he's referring to them here in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 14. They're going back to the Bible as as they've been restored from Babylonian captivity. In the same chapter, just a little bit further in 9 chapter, in in verse 26. Actually, that doesn't make sense, we'll leave that. Now, we're talking, that's just a sample, and we'll go and look at a few more, of how the fact that within the Bible you see that there is a record of that which was accepted as inspired. We saw the law of Moses there in an example right through. We also saw Jeremiah, a very recent prophet, had been accepted and Daniel referred to his work. Jeremiah wasn't with Daniel, but he'd been reading his work. It had been written, it was accepted as scripture, and he was reading that. And uh, we saw that 
in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, in Nehemiah, they were doing it as well. But there were other books that didn't make it into the Old Testament canon. So it wasn't, we don't just read in the Old Testament that every time a religious person or a prophet or a man of God or a king wrote something, it, didn't, it wasn't immediately received as being inspired by God or Scripture. So let me give you an example of some literature that wasn't considered inspired to be in the Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21. And verse 14. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars. How many have ever read the book of the wars in your Bible? That's right, because it's not in it. But there was a book. Therefore it is said, Numbers says, in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahab in Suffer and the valleys of Ammon. And so we see that there was a book written about the wars of the Lord. Somebody had made a record about the, the great battles that had taken place so far. It was a book, but it was never inspired enough to be in Scripture. There was a selection going on of that which was inspired Scripture and that which was interesting literature. A little bit like us knowing that we have our Bible, that's an inspired word of God, but you might, after this service, want to go for a little wander in the bookshop and read some books by people like Colin Dye or Robert Sladen. And you know that those books will be interesting and hopefully, and hopefully helpful and devotional and help you know, but you'd never take a book by any author who's a Christian author and say, this book by this author is the same level as the Bible, would you? No. Well, let me give you another example. Let's go to Joshua. We've been there before. We saw that he wrote scripture and also recognized the scripture that was um, passed down to him. And if we go to Joshua chapter 10 and verse 13. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for a whole day. So there, there was other books, other chronicles that are being written here, the book of Jashar. But how many of you have read the book of Jashar in the, in the Old Testament? No, because although it was written and helpful and interesting, nobody ever said, hey, this is inspired. This is scripture. So that, can you see that in the Old Testament, there was amongst the people of God, when inspiration came, it was recognized Usually, immediately, with the prophets, it was, this is the word of the Lord, and it was received as an authoritative word of God. Whereas other things, histories, and remember, we've got lots of history in the Old Testament, haven't we? We've got chronicles, and we've got kings, and that was recognized as scripture. But the book of the wars and the book of Jasher here, nobody ever said, hey, we think this is God's word, um, we, we could, well, let's, let, let's, go to, let's go to one other example. Why not? I'm, I'm staying in the scriptures today as much as possible. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. What am I doing here? I'm just trying to wash this over you so that by the end of the service, even if you don't remember each thing, you'll say, do you know what? That's really strengthened me. You, you can go to the Old Testament itself and show that as soon as scripture was written, 
It was accepted, it was written, it was preserved, it was passed down, and the people of God further on in the Old Testament were reading it, using it, and looking after it. You'd be amazed how in the liberal world of scholars, they don't even know this. They think it was rewritten and rewritten. There's a whole theory uh, called the source hypothesis, where they say that different people took the first five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament. It's called the JEDP theory. And they say that it was written, and then somebody came like a priest and rewrote it, and somebody came and rewrote it and changed it and changed it around. Well, we're seeing here a different story of what was written, was preserved and passed down, and people went back to it to get their lives back together. So here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 41. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? So again, we see that not everything was written was accepted by the people of God at its inception as being inspired, preserved, written down, and passed on. There was an, a selection process. There was something that was obvious to the people that it, that it was there. Now, how did the Old Testament, if I can use that phrase, the books in the Old Testament, how did they develop? This is important for us to look at briefly. And... Um, the Old Testament really is known in two categories. We'll see there was a third later. But we see that the Old Testament in its inception and as it developed was developed in a twofold way, a twofold process. We have Moses, or the book of the law, Moses, and then we have the prophets, twofold. Now, I will come to Jesus in a bit and later on where you, where you hear Jesus speak about the law, the prophets, and the writings. We'll look at that. But I want us to focus on the fact that the Old Testament developed as the law, Moses' first five books that he wrote, and the prophets. And every other book in the Old Testament was placed in the category of the prophets, the law and the prophets. Let's have a look at some uh, scriptures here. Um, Let's go to Joshua again and read a few in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7. Chapter 1, what's going on? You know, I knew this would happen to me. I don't want a network error. I don't want audio. I just want text. Okay. Right, I'm going to just sort this out. Get it, I just want to press it and get the text on it. Okay, I knew I always bring this, eh? Hey? <laughs> I just wanted to go to the chapter in the text, and it's trying to get me in. Okay, Joshua chapter 1, and then bring it up when you've done it. Joshua chapter 1, and verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. That is the first development of the Old Testament, 
the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. We can stay in Joshua and and see this again in chapter 4 and verse 10. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of, of the Jordan until everything was finished. Until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. So there again we get the fact that he has a uh, record. Thanks very much. A record of that. Let's go to Joshua chapter 8 and verse 31. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, has commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. That's that's chapter 8, verse 31. Now, I could do a few more. 9, verse 24. Chapter 13, verse 33. 17, verse 4. 21, 2. Where again and again in Joshua, you see a reference to the Torah, the book of the law. And so in the time of Joshua, the book of Moses was read, understood, preserved. It was being copied. Of course, the original was in the Ark of the Covenant itself. That's how highly they prized this material. We could also look at at Judges. If we go to the book of Judges, after Joshua comes the Judges. And if we go to chapter 3, And verse 4, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord which he'd commanded to their fathers by the hand of Moses. Again, a reference to Moses. Let's go now to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness and appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, there there your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord. Now I could continue. What is he doing? He knows his Old Testament. He knows his book of Moses, they know what had happened because they have it with them. We could look at 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 3 and 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. There was a time in the Old Testament when they rediscovered the book of the law in the temple. They hadn't been reading it and they applied it again, again to, um, to their lives. Now, let's go now and have a look at how the prophets came. Uh, we've already looked at Daniel, haven't we? Daniel chapter 9 uh, verse 2 and verse 6 and verse 13. And you see, by the time of Daniel, he wasn't just talking about the book of Moses, was he? Or the law. He was also speaking about the prophets, including Jeremiah. Let's go to Zechariah. Now, this prophet was also after the return from Babylonian captivity. So it's quite a a move on. And, uh, of course, many of the prophets were ministering during the time of the kings, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. So we're going to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 12. 
They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So here's this twofold thing. Can you see Zechariah? This is the restoration of, of, of Israel. This is the time when they've come back from Babylonian. And you've got the prophet Zechariah, who himself would be part of the prophets. And he's talking about the book of the law. He's talking about the Moses. But he's also, in the same breath, speaking about the former prophets. And so there again, you have this twofold witness to the canon of Scripture, the law and the prophets. Um, let's go to Nehemiah, and then I'll move a little bit on from this. We won't just keep going through Scriptures, but it's important to build this case because so, so many people are ignorant about these things. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Nehemiah 8 verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra's scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Same chapter, let's go to the verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people and priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses, etc. And now the next chapter, Nehemiah chapter 9, we hear about the prophets. Chapter 9, verse 30. Here he goes. Many years you bore them, speaking to the Lord, many years you bore them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets. So Nehemiah was there referring. So again, you have this twofold Old Testament development. You have the law of Moses or the book of the law, the first five books, and then the prophets. Now, I want to show you how that in the Old Testament, often these books refer to one another and also overlap. Again, showing us that the um, Old Testament people, as they developed, they were aware of the scripture that they already had. And when new scripture was being sent by God, it was linked to the Old Testament. So, for example, the first verse of Joshua links itself to Deuteronomy. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord of, the Lord of Lords said to Joshua, the son of man. Joshua added to the Mosaic law, we saw that earlier, and put it in the tabernacle. And so we, people believe that Joshua actually finished the last book of the Old Testament when it records Moses' death. That was Joshua. Joshua recorded Moses' death in the last book of the Torah in Deuteronomy. And then we see at the beginning of Joshua, it's like an extension. It's like after the death of Moses. Well, when was that written? In the last book of the Torah? There's a link. There's an overlap. There's a continuation that's, that's here. And then at the end of Joshua, when you move to Judges, Judges wasn't written without reference to Joshua because at the beginning of Joshua, it says... After the death of Joshua, the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord. And so there's a, there's a continuation that's there. We know that in Samuel there was a prophetic school 
that would uh, write and keep records. And we see this again and again of people keeping records. Here's a bit of an example for you without going too much into scriptures. The history of David was written by Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. An example in 1 Chronicles 29, 29. So Samuel, Nathan, and Gad, the prophets weren't always just prophesying. They were making records of events. The history of Solomon was recorded by the prophets Nathan, Ahijah, and Idu. Nathan, Ahijah, and Idu. 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 29 tells us that. The Acts of Rehoboam were written. Rehoboam, the son of um, Solomon, uh, was written by Shemaiah and Idu. 2 Chronicles 12 verse 15. The history of King Abijah was added by the prophet Idu. 2 Chronicles 13 verse 22. The story of Jehoshaphat's reign was recorded by Jehu the prophet. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 34. The reign of Hezekiah was written by Isaiah. Anybody read Isaiah and, and see him refer to Hezekiah in his own prophecy? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 32 tells us this. The life of Manasseh was recorded by unnamed prophets in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 19. And other kings have also had their histories recorded by prophets if we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 35 verse 27. So we could look at those scriptures, we don't have time, but you can go through seeing that there are evidence that there are prophetic ministers that are not only prophesying, but they are recording and putting these things down in, in, that would become scripture in the Chronicles and also in the Kings of the life of the Kings. It wasn't just come out of thin air. This continuity of the books in the Old Testament overlapping uh, and, and being linked together. For example, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth was an originally an appendix appended to Judges. It was lapped on to Judges. So when the book of Judges was written, it had Ruth linked to it. Likewise, the chapter of Kings have parallel materials in Jeremiah. And the book of Chronicles ends with the same two verses that Ezra and Nehemiah begins with. Do you see that? So the book of Chronicles ends... And you go to Ezra and Nehemiah, the next stage in the histories, and the same two verses that ends the book of Chronicles begins in Ezra, Nehemiah. I don't, I don't know if this is exciting you. We've got a Holy Ghost service coming up later, so if this doesn't excite you, you'll get full measure later on. I'm just wondering, have you ever thought of these things? Have you ever noticed, thought of these things? The overlapping the way that the, the Old Testament itself reveals these weren't a bunch of ancient idiots that made things up as they went along, that didn't have historical mindsets, that didn't write things down and ensure that things were accurately written down, accepted as the Word of God, preserved and copied and kept down the generations. They're recognizing what's already come. They're using what's already come. Now... Last 10 minutes, let's, let's move a little bit to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, there's, there's no debate or discussion about what makes up the Old Testament. It is assumed. Let's have a look at some of the, the Gospels here. Let's go to um, Matthew. You see, what did Jesus think was the Old Testament? 
That's important for us. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Can you see? I could have given you many more scriptures in the Old Testament, but didn't want to go on and on and on. But we've been looking, haven't we? The law and the prophets. The law and the prophets have said there is a twofold development of the Old Testament. The law, Moses, and then everything else. The prophets, the Psalms, the everything else is under the heading the prophets. And Jesus there sums up the whole thing. He says, the law and the prophets. If we go to um, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. He says this, this is interesting. Well, let's go from verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. That's very powerful. Again, he uses the twofold development, the, 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 the law and the prophets. But listen what he's saying. He's saying that the law and the prophets were established, but now something new is being established. He said, until John. In other words, what happened was, is that for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were the silent years. No scripture was received by the people of God no prophet of God brought scripture, nothing. Now there was Nehemiah, there was Zechariah, but then 400 years during the times of the Greek Empire and the rise of the Romans, nothing, nothing was added, nothing was received from God, nothing was inspired, nothing was recognized as this is a prophet of God, come to bring us inspired scripture, nothing. But then we get Jesus and he, and he says, the Old Testament... The law and the prophets came and prophesied until John. Jesus is recognized that what John has brought is prophecy direct from the heart of God. And of course, the New Testament records the prophecy of John in, in Scripture. Um, if we... Uh, all right, let me just try. Let's go to Luke. Then I'll move on. Luke 16, 16. Oh, it's the same, it's the same verse in, in, in different ways. Let me just think. Where am I? One second. just want to show you something. Now, I've been speaking about the law and the prophets. And um, I'm trying to find my... It's nine... Typical, I've lost my, I didn't bring my sheet. Okay, I haven't got the scripture, um, but that's okay. Now, I've talked about the law and the prophets, but you're also seeing the New Testament, Jesus speaking. I think he, spe I think he says the, the law of the prophets in Matthew 5, verse 17. And then if you continue in the Sermon of the Mount, you'll come to a scripture that I haven't got my sheet, where he speaks about the law, the prophets, and the writings. And so you will, in the New Testament times, also hear about a threefold structure. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Now, I'll just throw this out. This is important because some liberal scholars, people that don't accept the Bible as the word of God, they say that the Old Testament was produced in three ways. That They said that the first thing that we had was the law. 
We agree. Then they say the next thing was the prophets. And then they say later on came the writings. They say there was a threefold. And the problem with this is this, is that they say, the liberal scholars, that the law was only established as scripture 400 years before Jesus. This is the teaching of liberty. So in other words, the law of Moses was written, rewritten, changed, adapted, all those five books, and only came 400 years before Jesus into a solid form that we have today. Before that, they say, who knows what happened to it? And they have lots of fantastic ideas. And then they say the prophets, well, the prophets again were changed. Isaiah was written three times and overlaid and changed. And and eventually about 200 years before Jesus, we got the prophets. Firstly, the law, then the prophets. And then they say only around 100 years AD. In other words, um, 70 years after Christ had died was the writings. And when they talk about the writings, uh, this is a shorthand for such things as as the Psalms, etc., non-prophetic material. Daniel's in the writings. And so this false view says that when Jesus says, or speaks about the law, the prophets, and the writings, he's speaking about how the Old Testament was only really put in the form we've got it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after it was written. So we don't really know what we've got. 400 years, the law of Moses finally changed into the place that we've got 200 years the prophets, then 100 years after Christ was born, they decide what were the writings. I hope that I've just shown you enough from the Old Testament how ludicrous that is and how the people of God must must have been the most wicked people in the world if they kept changing it and how that their word, and last week when I looked at how important how they transmitted it and how they wrote it and how, how they even had mathematical calculations to check the right numbers of letters and words were in the right places. So I mentioned that. But when they talk about the threefold law, prophets, and the writings, it's simply to break it up. It's not about how it was created. Anyway, that might be interesting or not interesting to you. Let me explain something now about the Apocrypha. Got any Roman Catholics or ex-Roman Catholics here today? You don't have to be embarrassed. I'm, uh, if you take a Roman Catholic Bible, it has a whole body of books, not in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament. A Roman Catholic Bible has a whole section of books in the middle, in between the Old and New Testament. It's called the Apocrypha. And it's such books as Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, Baruch, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, a history of of the Jewish times in between uh, the the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and additions to Esther and Daniel. Now, how come it's in the Roman Catholic Bible and it's not in the Bible believers or Protestant Bibles? Well, the first thing I want to say is this, is that the Jewish people have never recognized the Apocrypha. These books I've just written, they're in the middle of the Roman Catholic Bible. The Jewish people have never, ever, to this day, recognized any of those books of Scripture. They were never part of the law and the prophets. Never recognized when they came forth. Never recognized. Jesus never quoted from them. The New Testament never quoted from them. Although the New Testament quotes from the vast majority of the Old Testament. I think it's only um, Esther, the Song of Solomon's, and maybe one other that the New Testament doesn't quote directly, or doesn't quote, but does allude to in other things. So 
the New Testament does not recognize the Apocrypha, does not quote from it, um, and so it's not in the New Testament. The Jewish people have never accepted it. The church fathers never accepted it. The church fathers, as we'll see next week, are the, are the leaders of the church after the apostles died out. They never accepted the Apocrypha of the Word of God. The New Testament and the uh, Jesus, they all accepted the Old Testament that we accept, in our Bibles, and that the Jewish people always accept. In fact, the Apocrypha was never accepted by the Christian church until 1546 at the Council of Trent. And the Council of Trent was a Roman Catholic backlash to the Protestant doctrine. Because the Protestants were going back to the Bible and they were saying, this is the word of God, you're justified by faith. And then the Roman Catholic Church says, we, we need to need to say a word on this. We need to make some laws about what we accept and what we don't accept about the Protestants. And the Protestants said the Apocrypha has never been accepted and shouldn't be accepted as the word of God. And then the Roman Catholic in 1546, and many of the bishops didn't agree with this until it was passed. They said that the Apocrypha was the word of God. It's got non-biblical teaching in it, like uh, you can pay for your sins through giving alms to the poor. And so the Apocrypha has never been accepted by the Jewish people. And so I just wanted to mention a little bit about this. Jesus speaks about an interesting thing. Jesus speaks about his uh, understanding of the Old Testament canon. And remember, there was never any argument between Jesus and his opponents over what the Old Testament was. Never any argument. Uh, he would say to them, Scripture can't be broken. And they would quote Scriptures to one another. But there was never any argument. Even the devil didn't turn up and argue about what the Scriptures were. When they spoke about the Scriptures, everybody accepted what the Scriptures were. They knew that there was no argument about it. All right, The Sadducees are a bit weird because they only really put strength on the law, the book of the law of Moses, and they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in angels, but there was never any doubt. And an interesting thing is, is that in, in, Ma, in Luke chapter 11, verse 51, we hear Jesus talking about his canon of Old Testament scripture. He says this, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, this generation will be responsible for it all. Luke eleven fifty one the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Why is that important? Because what Jesus is basically saying is saying from the first book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament, you have been a stiff-necked people. Now, the only difference between our Old Testament and the Jewish Old Testament is not the books. We have exactly the same books in our Old Testament as the Jewish people have in their scriptures, exactly the same. But the difference is, they're in a different order. So the last book of the Bible in our Old Testament is what? No, Old Testament. Malachi. Well, the last book in the Old Testament for the Jews is Chronicles. The book of Chronicles. The second Chronicles, although it's all together. That's the last book. And the last martyr, therefore, in the last book of the Jewish way of setting out the Old Testament, same books, different order, is the blood of Zechariah. So when Jesus said the blood of Abel, he's saying from Genesis. And when he says the blood of Zechariah, he's saying to the last book in your order, Zechariah, you've persecuted the prophets. Jesus had exactly the same scriptures 
available to him as we have today. Lastly, some people have said that um, the Old Testament was um, only decided, I mentioned earlier, that the Old Testament was only uh, decided a hundred years after Jesus was born. And, uh, and what they're talking about is a Jewish council, the Council of Jamina, Jamina, J-A-M-I-N-A, Jamina. And you'll often hear scholars talk about the Council of Jamina. What was that? Well, it was around A.D. 90. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. And God's people had been scattered. And so there was a group of rabbis that met to preserve the scriptures. And in that meeting, they had discussions over the scriptures. There's no evidence it was a council, by the way. But what some scholars have falsely done is they've grabbed this meeting by a group of rabbis after destruction of Jerusalem and the fact that they discussed the scriptures and they've said, ah, this is a council and at this council, the Jewish people finally decided what was in their Old Testament. It's that old view, you know, uh, the, 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 the law 400 years before, uh, before Jesus Uh, The prophets 200 and then 100 years after the writings. Nonsense, absolute nonsense. And so there's been this false view that there was a Jewish council of Jemina. And at this council, they sat down and said, well, isn't it time we sorted out what was in the Old Testament canon? So just watch that one. If someone brings them up, tell them it wasn't a council. It was a bunch of rabbis sitting around talking about it and never made a decision about anything. No evidence there at all. It was somebody trying to get a point in. So, we've looked at the Old Testament today, and we've just looked at the Scriptures, and we've seen how immediately Old Testament Scriptures were given, they were received and acknowledged as the Word of God. They were copied and preserved and transmitted and used by successive people in the Old Testament. How many of the Old Testament books actually interlock and overlap with the books that come after them? That key individuals, Daniel, and it, when they were in exile, when you might have thought they'd have lost the scriptures, and when they returned from exile, they had all these things. And even Daniel knew such prophecies as Jeremiah as being scripture, but very close, written during his lifetime probably. And how Zechariah, one of the last prophets, was speaking also about the prophets and, and referring to them. What we're going to do in the next two Sundays, I'm looking forward to this, is we're going to spend time in the New Testament. And we're going to look at how the New Testament kept their material, how they wrote their material, how they copied their material, how everything in the New Testament was written down, sealed and being copied before the last apostle had even died, being copied and copied. How these, the Gospels were written during the time of the very people that were at the events who could read the Gospel of Mark and say, oh yeah, that's right, Mark, I was there. And therefore, if Mark had put anything in that wasn't true, they could say, hey, who's making this up? That how everything was solidified, everything was there, and then the great copying of the manuscripts were taking place, securing our knowledge of the New Testament. That the early New Testament were a people that did write things down. Not just an oral tradition, but the early New Testament were people that were historians. I'm going to spend some time to show you that the New Testament is so accurate, has, 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 is so well attested to, it would take a fool to say that what was written there was made up 
at a later date. And then maybe in the next uh, session after that, we're going to spend some time looking at some of the alleged discrepancies of the Bible, where people say, ah, the Bible disagrees with itself. And we'll show you that is certainly not the case. Well, maybe you'll stay for Roberts this evening. I think we're going to have a good time. God bless you.